All right, everybody. It is Monday, September 20th, 7, 11 p.m. The uh, the 48-hour rule has been in effect. We needed to marinate. We needed to chill out. We needed to let this sink in, evaluate, look at the film, and just, you know, talk. But welcome back into the Sons of Saturday, Virginia Tech. My name is Pat Finn. I am out here in Charlotte, North Carolina. We got Grayson Wimbish back out on the West Coast in Los Angeles after a illustrious weekend in San Diego. And we have Billy Ray Mitchell, uh, the king of San Diego. Boys, how are we this evening? Bill. Okay. I went on a, uh, I went on a bike ride. Um, I logged off Twitter for a couple hours. Um, quite a few mentions. Some really funny, some pretty disappointing. Even some of the mean ones were pretty funny. So you guys, some of you guys did a really good job. Um, but yeah, it's okay. That was rough, but uh, we're gonna be okay. Be all right. I uh, I'm 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 doing well, gentlemen. It was it was cool. I actually got to grab some coffee with an old producer friend of mine who I first met when I first moved to LA. So that was uh, that was awesome. Uh, and I'm going to build a desk right after I'm done uh, chopping it up with you fine gentlemen. Let's let's say one thing, okay? We all love each other very much. Pat Finn, I love you. Grayson, I love you. Nobody likes, I promise, as much as I love podcasting, I hate, hate podcasting after a loss. Um, we may agree sometimes, you may disagree sometimes, you may be listening to this and cursing me off or cursing Grayson off. Not a lot of Pat has a high approval rating. I don't think anybody's gonna curse off Pat while they're listening, but just know we're all in the same boat. We all do love each other. Hokies respect. <laughs> let's uh let's break down, let's do this uh post-mortem West Virginia loss. Um, and then close the book and no Bill. Bill's in for a rough one. If you listen to the preview, you know I am. this is a tough one for Billy. I after uh, after some of his statements last week, but we're going to get through this. So let's kick things off with a hokey haiku, but this is not a haiku. It's actually a different kind of poem because uh, <laughs> we got a, you know, some comedic relief. Joe Rogers is always on the, gracing the timeline with comedic relief. So uh, we'll read his poem that he sent us. But first, we got to tell everyone here that the Sons of Saturday is brought to you and proudly presented by the Main Street Pharmacy of Blacksburg, Virginia. Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts, the head pharmacist. He is a proud Hokie alum. He is a proud Virginian, and he runs the best pharmacy in all of the Commonwealth and all of Southwest Virginia. He treats you like a neighbor, not a number. He loves Virginia Tech. He loves Hokie football, and uh, he loves the Suns. So go ahead, head in there. Uh, we got some home games coming up. Uh, I guess, uh, what, we got Richmond, we got Notre Dame. Wow, the next four games are at home. That's big time. When you're at home, when you're in Lane Stadium, visit Jeremy first or, uh, you know, hang out there the next day for some Pedialyte or something in the morning. But Grayson, I'm going to kick it over to you so you can read your uh, this this poem that's not read. Read. I think he's going to. No, no, we're going to we're going to sing. Before I get into this, I just want to say this is probably my favorite hokey haiku submission of all time. Joe Rogers. Country roads. Take me. Take corn home to a mine shaft. (laughs) All alone. <laughs> That's Honestly, it. That's really it. well, really well done, Joe Rogers. Um, little comedic relief to kick off yeah. the podcast. Um, so well done. We're all no hard gonna, feelings. It's a joke. It's a joke. No feelings. No hard feelings. We're all having fun. Uh, fun, fun, fun. That was Pat's word of the uh, word of the day after North Carolina. 
Maybe um, I should move to Nashville after that that singing performance, guys. Maybe that's the second that's the second high approval rating singing that you've done on this podcast. You're two for two. Um, so we're moving right along to where did we watch? Where did we watch? Is brought to you by the Hub in Blacksburg, and we got some fantastic news out of the Hub from Blacksburg. We had four new lease signees over this weekend for the Hub because you know why people are buying into the hype. People see the beautiful facilities. They see the awesome Instagram engagement. They're listening to the Sons of Saturday, and they're taking our word for it. So, look, don't just take our word for it. Take, I don't know their names, confidentiality. Maybe that falls under HIPAA or some sort of, like, um, you know, person protective information policy. So we're not going to give them out. But those four folks, tell your friends, tell your friends of friends. The Hub in Blacksburg is an elite living facility if you want somewhere to uh, relax, unwind, study, and just be the best version of yourself, the Hub in Blacksburg is where to go. Check it out. They are getting leases signed for next year. You don't want to miss out. Go on and check them out. Um, but where did we watch? Pat, we're starting with you. You went to Morgantown. We were talking constantly about, look, man, Pat, he's headed there on his own. He's the only son over there. We're expecting a tumultuous environment. And from what I've heard from you and what I've heard from everybody else, that may have not been the case. I drove to Morgantown on Friday night. I got in late Friday. Saturday was mom's birthday. So I spent some time in, uh, in New Jersey all last week. It's about a five and a half hour drive from North Jersey to Morgantown. And just from Twitter and the expectations I had from Morgantown, I really did not know what to expect. This is a rivalry that we have not played in Morgantown since 2005. So it's been quite some time um, since, you know, some of their fans have probably cooled off about us leaving for the ACC. Some of our fans did not want to make the trip up to Morgantown or were there incognito. Um, but, you know, I, I, I reached out to a lot of folks and they said, I've been there. I'm never going back there. Um, so I didn't know what to expect. Did not know what to expect. Pulled in late on Friday to meet some friends in town. I had to drop off some tickets and getting off the highway, uh, exit four, the infrastructure around town is very much old run down. You kind of get the vibe of, Hmm, you know, this place definitely could use, use some TLC. And then you get closer into Morgantown and it's kind of the same thing you're taking. It's, it's extremely hilly. You're taking very, very sharp turns up and down and all around. Um, and the place is just a little bit seedy, you know, riding around downtown Morgantown high street and a couple other, their streets definitely was a little nervous with a VT sticker on my car. Um, and I was like, where should I park this thing? I do not know what to expect people are saying your car is going to get keyed. Your tires are going to get slashed. So I, I, I went in expecting the worst. Um, because you know, the reputation of this town precedes it. Um, but parked the car in a safe spot, went to Joe Mama's, which had a band, which had multiple floors. It was, it was a happening place. Met up with uh, Andrew LaRanger and Caroline Kogan and Grayson Finley and Joe Burr and the road crew at Joe Mama's. And we had a great time. Must say there were a lot of incognito Hokies up there too. And uh, we met a lot of Hokies out um, Will Coffee had them play Enter Salmon at Joe Mama's on Friday night. The vibes were high. We're feeling good. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Get back to the hotel, wake up on game day. I was staying like 30 minutes south in Fairmount, West Virginia. 
just a beautiful morning and drove up through this clean mountain air. The fog was grazing the top of the mountains. It was unbelievable. And seeing Morgantown in the daylight was really just very, very nice. Um, but I called up my guy, Adam Bronze. I said, listen, I really would love to park my car at your Airbnb. Um, he says, of course, we jump in the Uber, we go to the tailgate, the blue lot, which is uh, where most of the tailgates were happening was full at 8.30 a.m. You know, every single spot was full. There's yellow tents, there's tailgates everywhere. It's right in front of the hospital. It's like in between the hospital and I guess what their, either the South or their North end zone would look like. Um, but great time at the tailgate. Energy was in the air. Um, you know, just their fans were getting into it. I, I would say that uh, to describe Morgantown on game day, it's very similar to Blacksburg on game day. They have fans that are out and early, you know, with all their tailgate food, with all their drinks set up. Um, as far as their fans go, pretty solid feedback on the West Virginia fans. Um, the older fans were very gracious, very hospitable. Welcome to Morgantown or welcome back or thanks for coming. Hope you enjoy your stay. Love that. Was not expecting that. The younger fans, a little bit different. <laughs> The college kids, the recent grads, even some, you know, wacky high schoolers, um, you know, F tech, F this, F that, just a lot of chirping. Um, some, some very strange looking people out there. I got to be honest, some strange looking folks uh, I saw on game day too. A lot of the younger fans kept doing horns down, um, horns down, F tech, horns down. Uh, kind of weird. Uh, a little obsessive. We get it. You're in the big 12. Texas is leaving you behind. Uh, just like we left you behind in the big East. Um, <laughs> a lot of folks saying it was a brave decision to wear hokey colors. Um, but you know, all in all solid experience at the tailgate, nothing physical, you know, no batteries, nothing thrown. I didn't see or hear of any altercations that tech fans got in with Western West Virginia fans. Um, and the last thing, that I loved and had so much fun doing. Um, we were in the blue lot and I was with Logan Ross and she was like, Hey, that's Bimbo Coles over there. And sure enough, Bimbo Coles is just hanging out uh, in the middle of the tailgate. If you don't know Bimbo Coles, Bimbo Coles is a former hockey basketball player, uh, played on the Olympic team for the United States, uh, had an illustrious NBA career uh, in the, in the nineties. And uh, he saw my hokey shirt and we chatted for about 30 minutes. Just an awesome down to earth guy. Uh, his son is uh, currently was on like a, a visit with West Virginia for basketball. Um, so that was pretty cool. And I uh, did a score prediction with Bimbo Coles, which was a lot of fun. But um, the last thing I'll say is just that and we could talk about this later on. West Virginia would love to have him in the ACC. Just from my experience in Morgantown, I had fun. I can't speak for everyone else. I had a good time. I had a pleasant experience and uh, I would love to have this game every single year or a couple times a decade. You know, this is a rivalry that has juice. This is a rivalry where the opposite fan base actually cares about their team. We don't see that out of UVA. We don't see that out of Carolina. We don't see that out of Miami. West Virginia fans are very, very similar to Virginia Tech fans. So appreciate the, uh, the West Virginia fans bringing the juice in Morgantown for being a good time. 
Sorry, that was that was a that was a long tangent, but uh, I had to give some accounts off of uh, off it, of my time. It sounds there. like it sounds like a pause. It sounds like a, a a town. First of all, West Virginia, I've said it before, is a beautiful looking state in general. If you're an outdoorsy person, um, and it sounds like a passionate fan base. I'm glad that there were no run-ins, and um, it from everything I saw on television, it looked like an awesome atmosphere. We uh, we told you, Pat, we wanted to hear about your experience uh, on TV. It was interesting. Didn't see a lot of maroon and orange in the crowd. I think a lot of fans probably wanted to keep it low key, keep it incognito based on what they had heard. Um, but as far as Bill and I's weekend is concerned, I, I went down to San Diego to pop in on Bill and we had a blast, man. We had so much fun. San Diego is the best city in California and it really is not close. Uh, just love the vibes down there. Uh, such friendly people. Awesome. Just beautiful landscape. I absolutely love where Bill lives. Mission Bay. On Friday, we biked, rollerbladed and longboarded uh, down to the beach. Got some pina coladas. No, we do not like getting caught in the rain. Um, and then we watched the game on Saturday at Bubs at the Beach. Early call time on Saturday. We were there by 9 a.m., birded over. Unfortunately, uh, I am now 0 for 2 at Bubs. I saw us lose to UNC there last year, and I just saw us lose to WVU. So I might be a bad luck charm in San Diego trying to figure that out. But aside from that, I mean, it was awesome. Like, the turnout was fantastic. I actually took a video of it that I'm going to post on Twitter a little later this week. Uh, but just shout-out to the Bub squad. The Hokies were out in droves. Saw Kenny Canham. Saw Devin Wilson uh, and and the whole gang. So, Bill, thanks for a great weekend, man. That was a lot of fun. It was a great weekend by all accounts, uh, minus the score. Um, but, yeah, a ton of fun. Hit uh, Hit Mavericks after for the Penn State game. Uh, which was a great environment, a uh, ton of fun, awesome uh, production and scene there at the whiteout um, in State College. But enough about that. We're here to talk about the football game, a uh, little bit of a flipped order. We're going to start with what we liked, um, offense, defense, and special teams, and we'll start with the offense. Pat, um, go right ahead. few silver linings in this game. Uh, one of them was definitely Caleb Smith. Caleb Smith had his best game in a Virginia Tech uniform, Repping the number 25, um, getting open, holding on to the ball, six receptions, 58 yards. Um, you know, after the first two games, not seeing him get many touches on the ball, it was great to see him, uh, you know, get some, get some action here today. But uh, that was, that was one of my few highlights. Yeah, I'd say, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. I'd say Braxton Burmeister's ability to make something out of nothing with his feet um, he had that Tavion Robinson throw where he scrambled to the right. I believe it was the right sideline uh, just at the end of the first quarter and throw it right before stepping out of bounds. That was impressive. Scramble on third and 24 reminded me of the tie rod and third and forever uh, where he was able to make a play um, seemingly was going to be taken down. He had three guys with an angle on him, made some guys miss. Um, and we'll talk about this too. I liked some of the creativity that we saw uh, with 229 left in the first quarter uh we saw a wheel route to drake de Ulis for a 39 yard game uh 39 yard gain uh we attacked the middle of the field more caleb smith was a huge part of that uh, and then with about 12 seconds left in the first quarter we also saw a jump pass to raheem blackshear um looks like we had a little bit of happy feet in the pocket probably would have been a touchdown if we converted on it but uh love to see that uh looks like we 
had some wrinkles and different things that we threw at him. Um, just didn't, uh, didn't capitalize on him. Yeah. I mean, Bill Pat, you hammered it. Caleb Smith had the best game of his career as a Hokie. He averaged 9.7 yards per reception. And then Tavion Robinson also had three receptions for 47 yards and averaged 15.7 yards per reception. Uh, obviously, man. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Obviously we saw what happened there uh, with that touchdown getting called back. I think he caught it. It's tough to say, but uh, he had a great game. So his, his touchdown catch uh, in the first half was a thing of beauty. Oh, it was gorgeous. Absolutely. Defense guys. Let's move it on. Uh, Bill, you want to kick us off? Yeah. Moving on with the defense, a couple of things. Um, First and foremost, had some hiccups early. We'll talk about that in the dislikes. Um, But the defense was, uh, we saw that bend, but don't break, don't quit mentality several times. Um, Two that I'd like to point out, the final West Virginia drive on the first half, it's third and four from the VT 45. Chamari Connor has that missed tackle, which is very uncharacteristic of Chamari Connor. Um, And uh, Winston Wright made an incredible play, converts on that third down. They have first and 10 on the 27 after a rough, roughing the passer call on Jordan Williams. Fast forward, it's first and goal on the two-yard line with two minutes and 12 seconds left. We're down 21 to seven. Um, and it's, it's, it's starting to look like boat race time. It's starting to look like this is going to get really ugly. Um, they were actually able to hold them to a field goal uh, to keep us in the football game. And then the first drive out of the half that West Virginia had, they converted a fourth down and three uh, to get first and 10 on the Virginia Tech 29. We were able to force a stop and get a field goal again. Uh, and then after that, defense was pretty much lights out the rest of the game. We forced a punt, a fumble, a punt, and then the last interception. So I really want to tip my cap to that unit uh, for pulling it together in the second half. Uh, tip my cap to Justin Hamilton. Look, like a lot of people were really criti- critical of that hire, understandably so with his lack of experience. Um, but him, Coach Tenuta, that entire defensive staff made some great adjustments Um and we're able to put together a three-point showing out of West Virginia in the second half and really give us a chance to battle and, and even come up with a win in that game. Um, so I was really, really impressed with some of the adjustments that we were able to make. Yeah, you guys did not give up in the second half. And I feel like every season there's moral victories, and I don't want to talk about moral victories. Um, it's great to see that they did not give up, but I hate the fact that they were that we're having that kind of conversation. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. And no, I'll wrap this out here quickly, guys. Um, Bill said it. The defense made adjustments, and that's credit to Coach Hamilton. He did it last week against Middle Tennessee. Uh, And I love that. I love that when a coach realizes something isn't working, he makes adjustments. And in the second half, the linebacker play was much better. West Virginia was having a significantly harder time finding gaps the way they did in the first half. And that resulted in less plays for big chunks of yards. And they only had three points in the second half. So uh, all things considered, we did wake up um, there at the end, which which is good. And that's promising going forward. Yeah, and the last side of the ball, um, special teams, which was going to be a huge, huge factor in this football game. Um, we were really bad in one area, but aside from that, we found out that Keyshawn King would be missing this football game due to an illness, non-COVID related. Uh, and Raheem Blackshear really, really did a great job stepping in with his electric punt ret- uh, kick return. 
at the end of the first half to put us in a position to put some points on the board. I thought that unit was good. Peter Moore had a 50 yard long, which was great. His net was not as good. Um, but you know, he's still a youngster and he's doing a good job. That's a hostile environment to step into his, for a lot of guys, this is their first true road game, um, stepped in, had a great, uh, had a great outing. So from punt kick return, um, I think we played pretty well on special teams. You know, Raheem Blackshear, just to kind of continue that he, without that return, uh, right before halftime, um, he provided such a spark that we needed, even though it led to no points. Um, and I was joking with the guys I was sitting with. I was saying, hey, Danny Malbin, um, I think that's going to come back to bite us, the fact that he didn't score, uh, that the fact that he didn't take it to the house. But Raheem Blackshirt is so dangerous with the ball in his hands. Uh, I got to give him props to just being such an offensive weapon um, you know, throughout all four quarters. He's a dynamic playmaker, man. I mean, he's – you know, you think about where was this football team without Khalil Herbert last year, um, and it's early, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard not to ask yourself, where is this football team without Raheem Blackshear? And you kind of saw what it would look like uh, as he was – I mean, he battled all game, man. I mean, I don't know if he was dealing with cramps or if he was dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, some other stuff, but he was getting beat up in this football game, and every time he touched the ball, he seemed to make great plays. So, I, I, yeah, I can't, I can't say enough how glad we are to have him here from Rutgers – um, and bring just a dynamic play playmaking ability uh, to this offense and to the special teams as well. We're going to move right along to that's what we have for what we liked. Let's jump into what we disliked, uh, starting with the defensive side of the ball. Pat, why don't you uh, get that co- get that going? <laughs> so what we disliked and and the what ifs. Um, all right, so defense, really tough first quarter, uh, really sluggish start on defense and you could tell that these guys weren't ready to go right away. Um, it looks like the, the defensive side of the ball just didn't get off the bus in the first half. And, um, you know, execution, execution is a word that's been thrown around a lot. It's been play calling and it's been execution mainly on the offensive side of the ball. But if you want to talk about execution and, you know, missed assignments, a lot of it happened in that first quarter on defense. Um, you know, we spotted them, 24 points uh, in the first half and really, really poor tackling the first half, Uh, whether it was the 80 yard run by downs on a second play from scrimmage for West Virginia, not downs. What's his name? Letty Brown, Letty Brown. And uh, the touchdown pass on the second drive, you know, 40 yards over Chapman's head. Um, They were just picking up yards and picking up first downs at will on our defense. Uh, a lot of this was due to the fact that we were not getting any pressure on Jarrett Dagey. Jarrett Dagey is not a guy who can really move around very well. Um, you know, if you, you can get to him, you can make him look like Jameis Winston yesterday. I, mean, I don't know if you guys watched the Panthers game, but they were all over him. Um, Amari Barno, you know, we didn't see him in the backfield that much two weeks in a row. We haven't seen Barno, uh, you know, come up on the stat sheet. Um, no tackles, no, uh, no sacks, no tackles for loss. Yeah. I was kind of surprised by that. I, I went back and I looked at it and I was like, what are they doing? Are they keying in on them? And especially in the second half, they had some times where they'd be chipping them with the running back. But, um, yeah, I saw a lot of hands on knees from Amari Barno, uh, a lot of, uh, just looking tired. He looked kind of, kind of, kind of gassed. He definitely wasn't the only one, but, 
Um, definitely, a, definitely eyebrow raising. He's a super talented guy. Uh, we're really counting on him to be an impact player and also be an impact player to where we can get Taiwan guard, but um, to make some plays too uh, and get him the opportunity to be in some situations where they're not going to be able to focus on him and Taiwan Garbett, he played really well. Um, I have to shout out Taiwan. Uh, he was able to uh, register a, a sack and a TFL, um, but we're going to need more out of Barno if we're going to continue to have a dynamic defense and, um, and see the impact that we'd like to see. Yeah. I want to say uh, Garbutt also forced the fumble in the fourth quarter, um, early fourth quarter, but Diggy just had way too much time way too much time. He would take the snap and the shotgun and just stand there for four five, six seconds without anyone up in his face, you know, go through his, his progressions and just get the ball downfield. Um, and what we saw week one against Carolina, we just didn't see it. The aggression wasn't there. You know, kudos to their offensive line um, for keeping our guys out of the backfield, but it was just brutal. Yeah, I, uh, I think that the defense lacked the intensity, predominantly in the first half, and consistency that they've shown and displayed these past two weeks, especially against UNC. Uh, West Virginia was able to march down the field very easily, like concerningly easily in the first half, mainly that first quarter. So that, that kind of raised the question. I was watching there in Bubs. I'm like, are, are, are they nervous? Is the crowd a factor? Like, what's going on? Is it the leftover pizza crust in their beds at the hotel they stayed in the night before? They just seemed a little bit sluggish. Uh, and there were there were this was a consistent factor throughout the game. There were a lot of missed tackles. Uh, we've seen glimmers of that in the past. And this year I was like, damn, you know, guys are really wrapping up. So Going forward, that's going to be paramount that we are laying the wood. We are wrapping up. Uh, so it kind of just makes me wonder if if they were a little shook there to start. Billy, I have a question for you about uh, about how that first drive affected the rest of the game. Letty Brown takes the handoff. He goes right through the gap, untouched for 80 yards. They probably Tech probably wasn't preparing that much to defend the run just because it's such a pass-heavy offense from West Virginia. In the last two weeks, uh, in their first games against Maryland and against uh, Long Island, you know they weren't really running the ball very well. How much does the fact that Letty Brown busts a big one affect the rest of the game plan defensively? Yeah, so I think West Virginia did a great job with a lot of the window dressing. We constantly talk about um, we've been over it. We do a lot of motion. We do a lot of shifting and and trying to get guys out of position. And that's exactly what West Virginia was able to do. Uh, they ran tight end motion uh, right before the snap of the first touchdown. Uh, both the safety and Dax Hollifield actually followed exiting the box. Uh, and then you ended up with a situation where you had four guys left to make a tackle against five or six hats. Uh, and it was all she wrote. He was off to the races and uh, scored a touchdown. Um, and then on that second touchdown, got beat off the line. Um, DB did a great job recovering. There's a little bit of a push off. Um, but again, West Virginia had several plays where the, where the quarterback would miss the wide receiver streaking down the field wide open in the first half. Um, but you know, I th- like, like you said, it definitely affected us. Um, they went up 14, nothing in, in less than six minutes. Um, that's kind of the big 12 offense, um, that we really hadn't seen from them against Maryland, just kind of scoring, in bunches and on huge plays. And they were able to do it really quickly right out of the gate, but the defense did settle in 
and was able to um, hunker down after uh, after that, and especially in the second half, again only giving up three points. Um, but yeah, solid uh, solid second half from the defense. I think you asked them to do just about anything, everything you could have asked. And Pat, you you said this after the game. I said the magic number was twenty eight, and twenty eight ended up being that magic number. Um, lost the game twenty seven to twenty one, um, and uh, to me. Defense did about all it could have done. Um, so I couldn't ask more from the defense. And we're going to shift this conversation over to the offense. Or Pat, Pat's raising his hand. Pat has a question. This was brought up to me, and I wanted to just put it out there. But I don't necessarily think that when we look at this game, obviously people are going to freak out about the offense. But I don't necessarily think you can say the defense is off the hook in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Just by by putting us in that hole up front. I know they played a great second half. They didn't give up and they forced turnovers to keep us in the game, but you have to evaluate the whole, you know, four quarters. Like we are, we're a fan base to jump on the offense for the second half against Carolina and the first half against middle Tennessee. Um, but I think, I think if we're going to do that with the offense, we should do it with the defense too, um, for putting us in that position and having, having us need to come from behind, um, that being said, the offense is a completely different conversation. And I'm, I'm on board with a lot of the thoughts about the offense. But um, when we're complaining about the offense, I think the defense still has a lot of work to do as well. That's a good that point. point. To that point, real quick, Pat, uh, I, I've said this. I said this the past two weeks. I think this is a team that I will always I mean, you'll always feel better. And this is dumb and obvious, but this team specifically is a team that always needs to be the one to score first. I hate this team playing from behind. And I was worried that if we went down early, that we would be in trouble. And sure enough, that's what happened. And we were playing from behind the entire game. Uh, And so going forward in these games, I I think it's going to be paramount to our success that we're the ones who score first. Bill, I know it's the first time you've been punched in the face. Honestly, it's the first time we've trailed a football game. So yeah, Pat, great point. Um, uh, I I just think the way I, the way I was thinking about it was if you told me this is such a stupid game that we play and I'm playing it right now, but if you told me that we gave up 27 points to West Virginia in four quarters of football, I'd feel pretty good about our chances. Um, But you're hundred percent right. As coach Fuente said a couple weeks ago, this is not the type of football team that's going to, that's great from playing from uh, that's great from playing from behind. Uh, we definitely like to manage the clock. We have running backs that are able to do it. Um, and we saw so many uncharacteristic things out of our offense um, in general. Um, and we'll get into that as well, but uh, yeah, good point. Good point. And we'll let Grayson kick it off with the dislikes from the offense. Um, it's a conversation everybody's having on the timeline. It's a conversation that everybody's having on the message boards. It's a conversation everybody's having while they're eating their grits in the morning. So we'll have it right now. Grayson, take it away. Yeah. Uh, first off, before we get into this, guys, obviously, you know, Pat, Bill, and myself are going to have our own opinions. Uh, and that's fine. That's fine. We're going we're gonna to start a, a conversation, a little dialogue. I want to shout out Grammar Tyrant at Beershake74. I told you I was going to get on here and talk about this. So we're going to have this conversation. I'm going to call it the corn conversation. Look, y'all, under Brad Cornelson's direction, the Virginia Tech Hokies have produced three of Tech's top four seasons for total offense over the past 25 years. Only the 1999 campaign with 451.8 yards per game tops the 2016 team, the 2020 team, and the 2018 seasons. That's great on paper. 
considering the fact that that 1999 team had Michael Vick as the quarterback. We won six games in 2018, and we won five in 2020. So let's let's talk about that, though. Let's talk about that, though, too, because in 2018 and 2020, those were historically bad defenses. Those were some of those in are terms some- of just for the number, just for the numbers. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm not interrupted, but in terms of the numbers in 2018, we scored 29.8. The opposition scored 31. We gave up 428 yards per game in 2019. We scored 24.69 and we gave up 30.7. Those were the numbers, uh, historically bad defenses um, and offenses that should have scored more points. But those are the numbers. Sure. And that's worth noting. Absolutely. I'll continue. Tech's 7.7 yards per touch average last season was the team's best mark since that stat began being tracked in 1996. That's awesome. We won five games last year. VT set a school record in 2020, averaging 5.5 yards per carry. I'd like to think that has a lot to do with Khalil Herbert. That ranked fourth amount among Power 5 squads. We won five games in 2020. Tech led the ACC by averaging 240.1 rushing yards per game last season. That was the team's best since the 2000 campaign, a team that also had Michael Vick as their quarterback. That's great. We won five games last year. I'll I'll conclude with this point. Under Brad Cornelson's direction, Virginia Tech tied or broke 10 offensive single-season records in 2016. Points, total touchdowns, first downs, passing first downs, touchdown passes, total offense, completion percentage. Yeah, you do that a lot when you throw east-west. Passing yards, pass completions, and total plays. Okay, that's all great. What's the point I'm trying to make here? Well, it's the same one I've always tried to make. I don't give a damn about any of those statistics. I just read they don't correlate. If they don't correlate to us winning football games, I don't care. And that's just the thing. They haven't. Not since this regime's second year in Blacksburg in 2017. And Saturday was – that's some of the worst play calling that I've seen Brad Cornelson pull since he's been OC. We could have won that football game, but as soon as we got that interception there and the final minutes of the game, all I could think was this, and I'm sure that I'm not the only one who had and shares this sentiment. If there was one person who would botch the trip to the red zone on play calling alone in what could have been one of the most memorable victories in Virginia Tech history in recent years, I know who it would have been at the hands of, and I was right. Yes, we can talk execution all we want, and that's true. They did not execute down the stretch. Those first two runs to Jalen Holston that set us up on first and goal were gravy and great play calls. But then you go four inside the five and you can't get seven. So where does that leave me? I'm done with the Brad Cornelson experiment. It's time, man. I've tried to be patient. I've tried to give the man the benefit of the doubt. I know this is long-winded, but we will never elevate as a program as long as he's the man calling the plays, and you're lying to yourself, in my opinion, if you think otherwise. Here's the deal, though. Coach Fu is loyal to his guy. He's not going to fire him, and here's why I have a huge problem with that. Pat and Billy Ray, this one's for y'all. I'm going to call it the sales scenario. Look, y'all both y'all both work in sales. Let's put it this way. Brad Cornelson is a salesman at the company at Salesforce or at Twilio, and he is a consistent drain on productivity, and he's the guy making the least amount of sales. He's not meeting quota every month. Billy Ray, I remember last year you said I would never wish someone would 
be fired or not have a job. Well, I don't necessarily share that sentiment if that person is detrimental to productivity. And in this case, I think our offensive coordinator is. Bottom line, the man has proved his incompetence to me, to me too many times to count, regardless of all the beautiful statistics that it has that have been written under his name. You guys can disagree. I want to talk about it. But I think I speak for a lot of Hokie fans here. Am I wrong? Is this a fair assessment? I'll open up the floor. Um, for me, I think it's a part of the puzzle. I think that there's a lot more depth to this discussion and the reason that we lost this game than play calling. Um, I think it's we were not prepared to go into a hostile environment. I think it's from execution, which ultimately falls directly on the coaches. But the biggest things that people aren't talking about enough just from this one 60-minute game is depth and roster management. Um, You know, if we are the best developmental program in the United States of America, you have to be able to have a solution if Silas Janzi gets hurt in the first quarter. Um, You know, we had Terrell Smith in there. We had to move Brock to right tackle. It did not go well. Um, Obviously, losing Parker Clements last week for this weekend's game. uh, I know he got hurt last week in practice. That's not helpful either. But the fact that a guy like James Mitchell goes goes down and it's detrimental to the team. Um, We have no vertical threats from a wide receiving perspective. Just a bunch of guys who are skilled, skilled, I would say skill receivers who are great east west. Um, you lose guys like Hudson and Nestor to the portal, which is a conversation that no one likes to have. But when you look at this game, could we have used Doug Nestor? Yes. Could we have used Brian Hudson? Absolutely. Um, play calling is one thing. I had I had a problem with two play calls in this game. One of them was the fourth and one in the first half when we lined up. Now I'm going to talk about the, the whole shotgun versus line, lining up um, under center. Hate that. Just, just tech, this offense is a shotgun offense. You will never see this offense line up under center. Um, right. You know, we used to run the I formation all the time back in the 2000s and the 90s. Football has, has developed to a point where a lot of schools don't play um, that way. And that's a lot of that's over my head, to be honest. Um, but from a depth perspective and the coaching staff getting the guys ready, that's where I think we fell short here. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the fourth and one in the first half where we did a QB draw and then the obvious jet sweep on third down in the red zone to the boundary side. Um, those are my two issues with the play calling, but I think this is part of a larger conversation that, depth, roster management, recruiting, and then just having these guys prepared and ready to go so we're not having issues with execution. That's what I think. Yeah, I'm going to um I'm going to say this, Pat, I completely agree. Uh, Pat and Grayson, I agree with you that these two play calls, the fourth down and one and the jet sweep to the boundary after a timeout where they are fully loaded to the side that we're running it. I hated those play calls. But what I'm going to say is that 
this football game, if you want to talk about this West Virginia football game, play calling specifically, two play calls are not the issue of why we lost this football game. And also when I say that execution is a problem, I'm not, that's not saying that coaches are absolvent of any responsibility from that. Saying excuse, saying that execution is an issue could mean that we're not teaching the techniques well enough. The players don't understand the concepts. We don't have guys in there that are running it effectively or that are capable of running it as effectively as we want them to. Um, and I went, went ahead and kind of broke down some of the things that everybody's wanted to talk about, but I mean, play calling didn't miss a 10 yard field goal or however long it was at the end of the first half play calling did not give up six sacks and allow us to get absolutely ragdolled at the point of attack the entire football game. I mean, this was a absolute, I don't want to take anything away from West Virginia. They completely dominated the point of attack on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball, mainly when they weren't even bringing added pressure. So here are the two areas where I broke it down. We're going to do sacks first in the record books. It went down as six sacks. It was technically seven starting with the first one, which was not logged as a sack, but it was first uh, 13, 16 left in the first quarter, third and five Braxton drops back and ended up scrambling. He got the happy feet that we've seen from him a good bit uh, with a good pocket. We were sacked leading to a fourth down, uh, but he was, essentially sacked at the line of scrimmage so it doesn't go down um they only brought four down defensive linemen but again the pocket was fine then you get to 12 24 left in the first half first quarter first and 10 we ran a power pass that is when you are pulling one of the guards and you are showing a run look to suck the linebackers in unfortunately uh our puller got caught up caught up in our offensive line that got blown off couldn't get to the defender they only brought four down plus one blitzer. 419 in the third quarter, first and 10. Luke Zanuto was just beat, uh, and he got called for a holding call. They brought four. It was four down linemen versus R5, and we got outmatched. 211 in the third quarter. First and 10 on the West Virginia 31, bad snap. Goes down as a sack. Then it's the back-to-back sacks. One minute and 38 seconds left in the third quarter, second and 14. Same deal. Pulling guard. He got beat inside this time. Uh, the guard was also beat. They rushed four. Um, four down linemen, beaten five linemen. And then 9.50, fourth in, uh, in the fourth quarter, second and 10. Holston was left one-on-one. This was, this was, I don't know how this happens. You got a running back one-on-one with their best blitzer. Um, they disguise the defensive end as if he was in some sort of zone drop back like we've been doing with um, – that we've been doing with Barno. Um, They disguised it. We snapped the ball. We didn't see it. He timed it up perfectly. And then you get one-on-one with Holston and a defensive end who just dominated this football game. Um, That was with a three down and the one blitzer. And then the last sack of the day, six minutes and three seconds left. um, Brock playing out of position uh, was going against the best pass rusher in the game. Number 10. He was out of position. Uh, he was playing out of position. Would have loved to see the the running back line up on the opposite side of the quarterback uh, to get some help for Brock. I'm not sure why he was lined up on the left side, but again, that's that's rushing four down. We can't be giving up sacks against four guys or five guys. That's just getting completely beat up front. So then for the red zone, what I'm going to do um, to save everybody a couple of minutes is uh, I'm going to go ahead on Twitter uh, and put out the final 
kind of wrap up of everything that went on in the red zone from all of our failed red zone attempts. And look, it was bad. Like it, it, from an, I, in my opinion, from an execution standpoint, it was bad, but I want to, I want to make the last couple plays um, the last shot at the end zone towards the end of the game, a little bit of a conversation and Grayson, I know you had a problem with it. We went run, run, roll out, roll out. What was your issue with the last, uh, with the last attempt in the fourth quarter to win the football game on that fourth down? On it all. I know you had a problem with running the ball twice um, and then kind of the decision to roll out twice. So I'm just curious. What sure. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So those, like I said, those two runs by Holston to set us up for the four plays there, you know, first and goal, those plays were very well executed and very well blocked. But we're there, and I'm looking real quick actually on YouTube right now. Yeah, it was it was Blackshear who set it up for us to get first and goal at the West Virginia three. We have one minute and 35 right. seconds left. Raheem Blackshear leaves the field due to injury, and then yep. we ran up the gut twice for essentially no gain with Jamie. Right. So I'm looking, I'm watching it right now. We're up the middle, we're on their third, or we're on our three, and then second and goal. And we do like the same play again and immediately get stuffed. And I'm thinking like, okay, the first run, that's fine. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But like to run to the short side of the field again there, pretty much following the same gap. It's like, wouldn't you, doesn't it make more sense to maybe here you drop back and take a shot to the end zone, regardless of how your offensive line is stacking up? Like that's what I would have done. I would have tried to catch catch somebody over the middle like a Trey Turner, even a Drake in the back of the end zone there on second down while you got two downs left to do something. I, I just I like the hit to the end zone earlier than okay, let, we're gonna run twice. We've gotten stuff. Now it's third down. Now kind of we're feeling the heat. And then we don't get it on third. And it's like, damn. And now, granted, again, it all comes back to execution. You saw Lasita Smith blew his block there. And that forced Burmeister to roll out. And by that point, it's too late for Trey Turner, who was wide open in the back of the end zone. So, so I don't have a – here's my thing. I prided after two games watching our offensive line dominate the line of scrimmage. I actually wouldn't have had a problem with running the ball four times. Um, that's just my opinion. We're on the three, we're on the three yard line to win a football game and you're behind your guys and it's us versus you period. So I really didn't have a problem with the two runs coming out of the gate. Uh, you're on the three yard line rivalry game, us versus yeah. you get stuffed twice in a row. So then you bring in third and goal from the West Virginia four and a half on that first play. It was a design rollout. Now what question people are asking, why are we rolling out? Reason we're rolling out is because you get to essentially form a wall on the backside, the left side of the offensive line, and cut down how many people are able to actively rush Braxton Burmeister after giving up six sacks, six, seven sacks the entire football game. So that's the reason to do it. Why are we rolling out to the short side of the field? The short side of the field is to Braxton Burmeister's right-hand side. He is a right-handed quarterback. That is why we're rolling out. So those final two plays. The first one seemed to be a rub route uh, for Caleb Smith. We obviously didn't execute it. Um, that second read that we saw that a lot of people are kind of freaking out about was Trey Turner seemed to be wide open in the middle of the field, which he was. 
what I would say to you is Trey Turner is the guy who's the rub guy. If, and again, I'm just going off of what I can see. I don't know the exact play call, but it seemed that he was the one executing on the rub route. And when he breaks open, Braxton Burmeister is spinning out. His back is turned to Trey Turner. So I question anybody to find me the quarterback that is able to make that throw, find him open in the back of the end zone with his back turned about 20 yards away. That's an impossible throw. The only other one that I could say that would be that I was curious about is if this was one of those Ryan Malik throwback plays because Drake DeUlis did. Uh, I'm not sure if it was Drake or if it was Nick, uh, but did he did sneak out of the side of the field open. Uh, but again, it was to the complete opposite side of where the action was. Go ahead, Grayson. No, I mean, no, no, no. I'm, I'm all ears to you, man. I, I just, when you do those two runs there to set us up, it's like, okay, we, we've, we've done that. And those were kind of up the gut runs. And then now it's first and goal. You're going to punch it. All right, that's fine. I'm with that. Just to do like four runs in a row like that, it was the second down that I had the problem with because the second down just kind of sets the tone for everything else that you're going to try there. And if you can strike on second down, the game's over. Well, this is it's so easy to go back and say (laughs) after we get blown off the ball two plays in a row that it's, oh, why are we running it? I mean, to me, it's, you know, you bring the guys in and you say, look, we got a good five up here. We're going to try to punch it in. It obviously didn't work twice. You get that third play where you get the rollout breaks down. He spins out and almost makes a great throw to Trey in the back corner. And then the fourth down final play of the game, 52 seconds left fourth and goal from the West Virginia four yard line. Um, I actually loved the scheme of this play. You had Tavion Robinson in motion. You bring him back and it's a pick play for Caleb Smith on the inside defender to get Tavion Robinson, the ball out in the flat. If we are able to make that pick, you can go back and look at it. It is a walk-in touchdown for Tavion Robinson. Um, and Caleb Smith is a guy who had a fantastic game, probably the best game that he's played in Virginia Tech uh, in a Virginia Tech uniform, and we didn't execute. And it obviously didn't come down to just this specific play, but I loved, I loved the action, and if executed correctly, we have scored on that play multiple times. But as I think about this whole drive, and I think about what happened at the end, we really missed James Mitchell sure. inside inside of the five yard line, not just for his jet sweep action, but also sure. his blocking ability. Um, but you know, Grayson, that's kind of where I headbutt with people, right? Is you know, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do the kind of breakdown on every play um, inside the red zone. But I, I truthfully don't think play calling was the issue. Um, you know, I, I I I think that the schemes that we had drawn up weren't executed correctly. And again, that is not absolving coaching from why we didn't execute the plays. It's making sure that you know where your reads are, where you need to line up, what spot specifically before the snap you need to be at in order to get the spacing correct. And that's my issue. I don't think this is something where we get down there and we just make bad calls and bad football plays. If you actually go ahead and you get into the minutia and you get into the actual breakdown of what we're trying to execute, I didn't have a problem with those calls. Sure. I, I Here's my issue, and, and I think a lot of Hokies will share this sentiment, and I'm sure you do too, man. Like, being in the red zone three times and coming away without a score three times, it's not great. And I understand, JPR, you missed the field goal. It's unacceptable. And, 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 it's unacceptable. And the touchdown's called back. I mean, what are you going to do about that? But it's like you, you got to do better especially in a game like this, you got to be execution is a huge part of it, but you got to be somewhat creative 
Uh, and I just, I, I just think we're like a five trick pony or playbook. But the, just- but the question, and Pat, I'm going to tag in. Cause I know you have a point. My, my, sure. my, my, my issue is if you're saying we need to be more creative and if you go back and you look at the concepts of what we're running and if executed correctly, it is a touchdown. What like, like coming up and saying we didn't score, so therefore the play call is bad is not a, an argument that you can stand on. And I'm not speaking specifically to you. I'm speaking to everybody who's who's doing this entire exercise is if the play call, if executed correctly, is going to score a touchdown at the end of the day, somebody is going to win the game and somebody is going to lose the game. Somebody is going to execute better than we are. And that is what happened. West Virginia lined up, out toughed us and did a better job, and we missed on a couple of executional plays. And that is why we lost the football game. I understand that the offensive coordinator position is one of the most thankless jobs in football. Um, I think to add a little bit of color to how Hokie Nation is feeling right now and how Grayson is feeling and how I'm feeling is that we are not losing – I don't think we are losing games because of play calling, but we are not winning games because of play calling. You know, we have, we have talent on our roster to be able to use some of these guys to score more than 30 points a game. Um, and the red zone opportunities having, you know, 12 or so plays, whatever it was in the red zone and coming away with zero points. Okay. If all these play calls are supposed to, you know, create touchdowns if executed properly, you know, why aren't they? Um, and maybe that is where we are lacking in the creativity aspect. So we didn't lose because of the play call, but guess what? We did not win because of the play call. Yeah. And I think another thing, if you look at the job description of an offensive coordinator, right? It's, 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 it's on the position player, the position coaches to develop the talent. It's on the offensive coordinator position to put players in positions to succeed put up schemes in order for players to succeed. And I think back to the play where if we execute on that Raheem Blackshear jump ball that's dropped or that's just not executed, that's a play where we're pointing back and saying, that's a great scheme that we ran against the defense, against the correct look, and we were able to score a touchdown. And we're having a very different conversation. If we're able to execute and pick the wide rec- the, pick the inside guy and score on that last play of the game, we're able to have that conversation. I think whether we win or lose this football game, we're having the same conversation. It's how can we be more productive on offense because that's what we're looking to do. What's so frustrating to me and a lot of people is at the end of the day, whether we run a scheme that's supposed that looks like it's going to work versus somebody, it's we're not seeing that production. But sure. to come forward and to say the play calling sucks – because we're not getting the desired result, that is not always as simple as it gets. I have questions on, are our guys understanding the scheme? Why have we not developed more across the board in the wide receiver room? Okay. A guy like Caleb Smith is a guy who's taken tremendous strides, has gotten better every single game that he's played. Um, Why haven't we seen that kind of growth in other positions? Okay. Sure. Why are we in a position where we're being outmatched by four down, three down, sometimes when they're not bringing somebody and still seeing sacks. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of room for improvement, but my ask is if, you know, anybody has a problem with the play calling or somebody wants to understand why we're running X versus Y or why we're not doing this versus that I'm going to do the best job to explain it um, from my angle. 
and and Grayson, I know you you've gotten you got into it with Isaiah and and some other guys on Twitter, and you know, <laughs> it's because all of us it's because all of us are passionate, man. Like you know sure. what I mean? Like I think we can all agree though that the output that we have seen is not acceptable. Uh, and it can go one of two ways after this football game. Um, but it's just, it's not acceptable. But I think just labeling the play calling as the reason why we scored 21 points against West Virginia is kind of an easy and lazy argument um, when I don't think that's the actual case. Well, let's, let me, well, let me get this out before we move on. I, I have another issue. If Coach Fu believes that this is the best and most efficient in the air passing offense that he's seen since he's been in Blacksburg. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it at all. And look, dude, it's like you just said execution and whether or not your guys know what's going on and for Braxton to be able to make his reason for people to be in the right place dude. that's coaching. These guys that that's on the offensive coordinator and the wide receivers coach to make sure that these guys know how the play works, where they need to be, the timing of the play. It, I mean, execution happens because the master teaches the apprentice. You know, Brad Cornelson is the one who needs to make sure that Braxton knows his reads and hits Raheem Blackshear to make that touchdown right there. And I'm just not, I'm not, the. it just, it doesn't match what's being said said i don't like hearing that one thing is this way when it when it is not the passing game is not the best it's ever been the be- the passing game was the best when gerard evans was here and it was masked by superior talent this year is not the most superior passing game i'm sorry but it's just a lie it's not the truth you know what i think the last thing that i that i'll say on this to tie it in is, is i agree with i agree with your points um First of all, Coach Fuente said in the offseason he felt more comfortable about the passing game than he did. He didn't say it was the best passing game he's ever seen. He said it was the most comfortable he's felt passing the ball since he's been here. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about Gerard Evans in that 2016 season when he first stepped in. And I think there are um, a lot of parallels to this game versus the Tennessee game in 2016. Depending on how, obviously, it depends on how the rest of the season goes. But you look at Gerard Evans' numbers versus Tennessee in 2016. He was 20 for 28, 71.4 completion percentage, 214 yards, one touchdown, 147 rate. You look at Braxton Burmeister, and they give you a little bit of background on Braxton Burmeister. This is the first time that Braxton Burmeister is playing in a true road, unbelievable environment game since November of 2017, where he headed to Washington when he was playing for Oregon. Um, and some of the issues that we've seen with him are a few missed reads, very quick, happy feet, getting out of the pocket a little bit earlier. But his numbers were very comparable to Gerard Evans in a growing pain type of game, which is what I kind of see this as. 19 for 31, 61% completion percentage, 223 through the air, two touchdowns, no turnovers, and 143 rate. So you kind of take all of this, right? We got a young football team. There's a lot of things that need to get ironed out. We need to figure out who's going to play right tackle. I have no idea who's going to play right tackle if Silas Danzi is not able to come over. We got to find a way to get Raheem Blackshear the ball in space. We have to develop a vertical passing game with, and I think Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson are the ones that are going to need to do it. And then also working over the middle. I look at guys like Drake DeUlis and I look at guys like Caleb Smith who showed very, very good signs in that side of things. 
So, you know, we'll get into this when we kind of talk about silver linings and where we go from here. But I don't think that it was necessarily a lie as much as it, you know, you may be seeing one thing in practice and it just hasn't translated to the game yet. But whether you like it or not, everybody, I think Braxton Burmeister is that guy. I think Braxton Burmeister is going to continue to grow. uh, And that's what we're going to see. But I'm putting a lot of eggs in this basket of, you know, and I have to eat some crow. We didn't do a lot of the things that I thought we were going to do, dominate up front, be a non you know, not get penalized. Penalties crushed us, crushed us the other day. Um, so I'm hoping that this is something that we can bounce back from and continue to get better. Uh, and Pat, I know that you have some tie-ins with recruiting as well um, that go into this as well. That comes down to the coaching staff as well. Recruiting, depth, roster management. I mean, even even just... I don't know what's going on with the windmill thing, the 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 fly eagle fly thing that Braxton's doing out on the sideline, um, or you know when he's in the huddle. It looks like he's hurt, or it looks like he's just trying to get loose. I don't want to speculate you too think much. He's hurt? I don't, we could talk about that for a second because that was a really big point. People were saying he's doing it with one arm. People were saying he's doing it with two arms. Pat, we talked about this in the North Carolina game. He's always doing this like this like flutter like. Second gen, second grade gym class. You ever see the you ever see the movie Angels in the Outfield? Yes. <laughs> when the, yeah. When, when they get the whole stadium doing the Angels uh-huh. thing, it's not like that because he does the. Uh, it looks like he's doing the butterfly stroke, a little Michael Phelps action, right? Um, but you know, you get the idea. I don't know what's going on. If he's hurt, if if he's just trying to get loose, if he got hurt in the Carolina game because he did it in the Carolina game. But yeah, I mean, when you talk about the quarterback position, Coach Fu says this is the you know the best he's felt about it. Braxton might be shaken up. Um, we saw him make some throws throughout the game, but we also saw him miss a handful of throws. Um, and then a lot of that is attributed to him just being consistently under pressure from the right side. Um, you got a guy like James Mitchell who goes down. That's a blow to your offense. You got a guy like Jaden Payute who everyone talked about essentially all, all camp, but still battling a hamstring. I did see him play, um, but we still haven't seen his potential unlocked. Um, we're just having guys ready to go. I mean, that's, that's really what it, what it, uh, what it comes down to here is just the lack of depth on the line is really hurting us right now. And like you said, who the heck is going to play right tackle next week? I don't know, but preparation, you know, lack of playmakers down the field, some decision-making, roster management, a, a few play calls here and there and execution. You, know, you, you got a, a perfect storm for losing in a hostile environment. Yeah, and I definitely have Crow to eat. You know, I, I, I really think, you know, Grayson, you've, you've made your point obvious that you're out uh, on it. And, um, you know, this season can go one of two ways, right? And um, that's why I'm hoping that this is more of a uh, Tennessee situation from 2016 than a North Carolina situation from 2020. Um, but if this team is going to go as far as – as far as I'm concerned, the defense is going to show up. The defense is going to get it done. We have some stuff that we need to clean up. But for if this season is going to be successful, the offense is going to have to take that next step. Um, and we're going to have to, I think, like you said, get a little creative, find different ways to 
put forward concepts that we both feel comfortable in executing and that are also going to put the other team in a uh, in a mismatch or have more numbers than they do at the point of the of, a, of attack. So um, that was good. That was actually that was, that was great. And for the record, I just I just want to say this uh, just to be crystal clear. I'm not saying, and I never said, so don't get it twisted, that Braxton Burmeister is not the guy. Uh, you know, I just want to make that clear for anyone on the TL who might try and twist that up. I never said sure. that. Yeah. Moving along to special teams, as of Monday, September 20th, as far as I'm concerned, we do not have a field goal team that I feel good about. Um, JPR made a huge field goal uh, in the North Carolina game. Missed a short one, missed another short one. Um, we were extremely spoiled from 2014 to 2020 with two really good field goal kickers and Joey Sly and Brian Johnson, who were both above average college football kickers. Uh, and it looks like we're going to be reevaluating the position, whether that means making some technical tweaks to JPR. Look, JPR is great on kickoff. Um, I hope he can figure it out on field goal. Or maybe there's uh, Kyle Lowe who we'll look at or hold open tryouts in the Lane Stadium parking lot. I don't care what we do. Got to get the field goal situation figured out because we need to be able to um, score points because that's how you win football games. Does anybody else have any qualms, quandaries, questions, or topics they would like to discuss before we move on from things that we disliked? Does not seem that we do. Moving along. Where was this football game decided? This football game was lost up front. The Virginia Tech defense produced two sacks and one quarterback hurries. The Virginia Tech offense produced 103 yards in 42 attempts of rushing, which is 2.45 yards per attempt. Completely then, unacceptable. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously, Brax was sacked seven times. Three of those sacks came from West Virginia's redshirt sophomore defensive end, Javid Bartlett. That Savage. kid had himself a day. But seven sacks, I mean, that's like, that's, I mean, it's not as bad as a turnover, but you can't be sacked seven times and expect to win the football game. It's tough. This next segment is brought to you by Roots Natural Kitchen. It is called Out to Lunch. Check out Roots Natural Kitchen right in Blacksburg for a great, great, healthy bowl tasteful um and fun uh, fact fun fact about roots they're working with uh with brock hoffman i think they're working with storm murphy now we saw storm murphy at roots last week hosting a uh i think it was an elf el jefe the word about the el jefe is getting around town man everyone's trying the el jefe bowl but you got to get it with no tabasco no tabasco on the el jefe bowl uh but out to lunch it's a little bit of a stretch the touchdown to Tavion Robinson, I'm not going to say that it was bad officiating, but the fact of the matter is one risk, one one line judge said that it was a catch. The other did not. And essentially the angles were so bad that it was essentially going to go with whatever the call was. They elected to go with incomplete. After further review, the call stands. I personally think he caught it. Um, it was a tremendous play. Bad ball, um, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, so that's my out-to-lunch submission for this week. I'll just do an honorable mention out-to-lunch here. Really goofy from the West Virginia kids should just say horns down, F Virginia Tech uh, at the tailgate and at the game. They're just doing the horns down thing. They're, they're doing it on TV 
during the v, the uh, not the VT fan photo, the WVU fan photo. You got all the kids doing horns down. It's like, do you know how do you know how far Texas is from West Virginia? It's pretty far. Do you know well, how much Texas cares about West Virginia? They don't care. Another thing, too, we talked about it a couple of pods ago. It's not about Texas, West Virginia. It's about West Virginia. Don't make it about somebody else. They're not even in the game. Why are we even worried about Texas? Come on, take a note. Take a note out of our book, man. We've we've made this mistake. Don't make it about don't make it about somebody else, man. Support your guys. But <clears throat> that's not taking anything away from the crowd that was in West Virginia. They were a factor, constant, uh, constant loud noise, multiple offsides. Um, they did the damn thing in Morgantown. Um, moving right along to helmet stickers. My first helmet sticker goes to Caleb Smith. Again, has gotten better every single game. There was a little bit of 25, number 25 magic on a fourth down play. Um, six receptions, 58 yards. Uh, a really good game by Caleb Smith. I, I'm a huge fan of him. He's a leader. Uh, and again, on the leader thing, I'm also going to give one to James Mitchell. James Mitchell did make the trip just days after getting surgery um, and was uh, in everybody's ear and encouraging his teammates. So, um, you know, thinking of James Mitchell and hoping he has a uh, quick recovery. I want to give a helmet sticker here to Raheem Blackshear. He's a threat with the ball in his hands, and uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, so shout out to Speedy Heem. Raheem Blackshear, four catches, 31 yards, 10 carries, 44 yards. He was dynamic. Uh, I think he was the best player on our offense the entire day. I also want to give a shout out to Jalen Holston. Uh, he's been solid all year, man. He's been, you know, really impressive through three games. Um, Eleven. It won't really show up in the stat sheet, but he made some dynamic plays. 11, 11 carries for forty-two yards, a long of seventeen. Uh, he also had three receptions for thirty-one yards, a long of twenty-nine, um, and a touchdown. So shout out to Jalen Holston, your guy, Pat Finn. Um, he gets a helmet sticker as well. Holston looked great. Uh, Jermaine Waller gets a helmet sticker for me on the defense. Third interception, really igniting the spark uh, you know, on that last drive of the game, or so we thought. And uh, he is the only player in the United States of America with an interception in his first three games. Shades of 2010. If you guys remember J. Ron Hosley. Yes, sir. 20. Led the nation in interceptions in 2010. I believe he finished the year with nine. He picked off Russell Wilson three times in 2010. Shout out. A little bit of hokey history there for you. J. Ron Hosley. Absolutely. And like uh, our friend Don V says, first round that man. He keeps that up, and he will be a first round pick. I'm confident. Another Don V shout out. It and, wouldn't uh, be a Sons of Saturday That's podcast, right. That's right. <laughs> uh, last helmet sticker here, guys. I want to give a helmet sticker to Brock Hoffman. When Silas Zanzi went down and Juice had some troubles with the snap count, Brock had to eventually step in at right tackle, uh, and Johnny Jordan took over at center. And I know that Brock's a team player, and he'll do anything to make sure that his team wins. Uh, so I thought, I definitely thought it was awesome that he was willing to, to make the switch over to right tackle, and he was ready to do it. So uh, that leads us into the game ball, Bill. And then last on the awards section of the podcast, we have game balls. Game ball goes to one guy, and that's Jared Bartlett, number 10 from West Virginia. Five tackles, three sacks, forced fumble, and a defensive player of the week award from the Big 12. I didn't know. I didn't know they, I didn't know they gave out that award. I'm surprised that they even have that award, but uh, shout out to that guy. He was an absolute dynamic playmaker and 
dominated the football game um, for every angle. Um, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? We broke this down into multiple segments. The first one is things that absolutely must improve. Pat Finn. Guys, get off the bus. Defense, get off the bus. I love watching this defense play when they are in the backfield wrecking havoc on quarterbacks, uh, you know, tackles for loss in the backfield, forcing turnovers, and just bringing the juice, bringing the energy. I want to see that second-half defense all season long from here on out. Um, so we need the intensity. We need these guys ready to go uh, you know, from the first snap in that first defensive series. Yeah, uh, and we talked about this in droves earlier, offensive play calling, particularly in the red zone and red zone execution, both have to improve. Got to get a little bit more creative and got to do a little bit better job of just connecting and executing. Must score more points. I am with Grayson. Must score more points regardless of where you place the blame or the verbiage. The offense has to score more points. Um, Unanswerable questions. Who's going to play right tackle? I have no idea. Who's going to kick field goals? I have no idea. How can we help our offensive line in pass pro? We got to figure that out, whether that's getting the tight end involved or running backs having to stay in the backfield. I'd love to, you know, I don't know if we have this package, but I'd love to see Raheem Blackshear and Jalen Holston on the field more often, maybe even both of them in the backfield. Um, I'd love to see that wrinkle. Um, I know a lot of people have been calling for that. I'd love to see that. And then how can we get, Amari Barno more productive. Um, he's an he he is an elite pass rusher. It's easy to forget that this is the first year that he's been doing this. Um, so, yeah, uh, got to see more production out of him. Grayson, unanswerable question. Uh, seriously, and I, I don't know is Raheem Blackshear okay? He walked off the field. I, I remember Billy Ray and I saw it on TV. He looked really hurt there at the end of the game. He walked off the field, but his leg did not look all right. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious. And then Burmeister, are, are you good? Are you good too, man? I think I want to, I want to nip this in the bud. I don't think he's hurt. Like, okay. I, okay. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming at you. I'm just saying no, no. he, he, he I, I don't know when he runs around, he looks fine. Uh, he, he, he's a dynamic playmaker. He's all over the place. Um, you know, hats off to him. He was getting beat up in this football game, constantly getting up, constantly finding ways to get back to the drawing board and try to produce. Um, but, uh, you know, just because he's, you know, doing some weird Bikram yoga stretch stuff, I don't think that we should infer that he's hurt. I guess we'll find out. Uh, will we see Connor Blumrick back in short yardage situations or in the red zone? That is a question I would love to have answered at some point. Um because he proved to be effective last week. It wasn't sure if it was any smoke and mirrors, but I mean, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, guys, but uh, looking back on our red zone performance, it would have been nice to see if he would have been able to make an impact or get a couple of yards. Uh, silver linings from this game or from this weekend, we should say, because my silver linings are about the coastal division. Miami. The trashal division. The, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to try to come up with a funny pun for next week. Um, Miami looked horrendous this past weekend. Uh, lost to Western Michigan, I believe, at home. Pittsburgh, no, sorry, Miami lost to Michigan State. Pittsburgh lost to 
Western Michigan. Yes, the Broncos defeated the Fighting Pat Narduzzi's. Again, the Western Michigan Broncos defeated Pittsburgh. Uh, not a good look for the Coastal Division of the ACC. Meanwhile, on the flip side, I guess this is not a silver lining. <laughs> Sam Howell looked absolutely incredible against UVA uh, this past weekend. He was throwing freaking lasers. Um, they really have have that offense down. Uh, I know it took a couple of weeks to get going, but Josh Downs was electric. And then Brennan Armstrong at UVA. Week one, he threw for over 300. Week two, he threw for over 400. He surpassed 500 passing yards in Chapel Hill on Saturday. So we're going to have to worry about UNC potentially running the table. They still got to play Miami. They still got to play Pittsburgh. They still got to play Notre Dame, obviously out of conference. Um, NC State, State, you know, could be a threat. And then quietly, the Who's are 3 0. They haven't really, uh, sorry, the Who's are not 3 0. The Who's are 2 1, but uh, they could potentially be a threat. Who knows? That game in Charlottesville on November 26th could be very, very important again. Uh, Again, obviously, this loss, while it stings, wasn't a conference loss. So that's a silver lining. Our Coastal Hopes currently remain intact at the end of week three. And we got them in 2022 coming to Lane Stadium. They're going to be bringing that trophy with them, and I'd love to take it back. Uh, As far as the team is concerned, Caleb Smith, best game of his career. Uh, Made a few huge plays over the middle. Uh, He's gotten better every week. I said it already. He's a completely unselfish football player. Um, Braxton Burmeister for, I said this, he's, it's the first tumultuous road game since November, 2017. Uh, he's got some things to clean up, but he showed that he's got grit. He showed that he'll battle. He showed that he's a dynamic playmaker. Uh, and I'm hoping that he's able to get better. I already did this comparison with Gerard Evans and Braxton Burmeister after the Tennessee game. So I do believe in him. Uh, I, I, I think that he has all of the tools, uh, and just needs to settle in and we need to get him some protection up front. Um, so I think that's a silver lining. I want to tip my cap to Justin Hamilton, extremely well done, uh, made adjustments, made it happen. The defense continues to do a good job. And also we won the turnover battle to nothing, uh, which is more frustration. It's frustrating that we lost the game, winning the turnover battle to nothing, but there are your silver linings for this football game. I want us all to take a second. Everybody come off mute. Everybody come off mute, find that mute button and let's take a deep breath in. And a deep breath out. We're going to exhale this football game. We're going to move on to Richmond. So everybody deep breath in. <sighs> With that brand new nose, baby. Hell yeah. And not Getting fresh mountain air. It's not fresh mountain air, but we got. Clean mountain air. Clean yeah, mountain Pat's air. Got, Pat's got the, the clean Charlotte air. And me and Grayson have the. Smoggy. The disgusting. Smoggy LA air. And I have the palm tree, um, you know, sea breeze air in my nostrils. Let's move forward. Other stuff. I love the other stuff segment of this podcast. Hey, you know what would really suck? You know what would really suck? And Pat just talked about it. Miami lost to Michigan State 38-17. Pitt lost to Western Michigan 44-41. And what would really, really suck is being Coach Fuente's predecessor or postecessor or whatever you say that from Memphis Going to Florida State, Florida State lost to Wake Forest by 21 points. Florida State's going to struggle to win three games this football season. And, Pat, I know you have a quote from Kirk Herbstreet uh, on the standing of Florida State right now. 
It's actually me uh, who's bringing the quote from Kirk. But in in his uh, in his words, I remember a few years ago, uh, he gave us and oh, my God, it's so bad. And the, the same could be said about the Florida State Seminoles. I genuinely feel bad for that fan base. And I probably shouldn't. I really probably shouldn't, given the given the fact that they robbed us of a national championship game. Uh, and probably the only team national championship we'll see or flirt with for a little while. That's just me being honest. I couldn't begin to imagine the frustration of that fan base. They won two national championships in the last 25 years, and to be where they are now, that's just kind of something I never saw coming. I can't imagine any of them saw it coming. And after the great time that I had in Tallahassee, I'm sure Pat shares that sentiment Mike Norvell, he might be out of there as fast as Willie Taggart, but we'll see. Man, just brutal, brutal times in Tallahassee with a really talented team. That's what it's, it's always so weird seeing teams like Florida State or Miami or some of these other schools like Arkansas even a couple of years ago. Arkansas has got it rolling now, but when you have that much talent, it's just weird to, to, to see teams bottom out like that. But I guess we can blame TikTok. It's been going around. Florida State has a brutal TikTok of some player in their uniform dancing in the bathroom doing some some deal and it's been all downhill from there um my other stuff thing i actually want to open this up to a little bit of a conversation um and you guys probably it probably means more for you guys just kind of your history following virginia tech but is there a better is there a better interview or example that west virginia could have set than the environment that they put out and the performance that they put out for getting them into the ACC. That is an electric atmosphere and a strong, healthy football culture in Morgantown. And I look at the rest of this coastal uh, coastal division. Forget how talented they are. Forget what their records are. That environment was better than anything we've ever seen out of Keenan Clown Stadium, where they had to reduce the seating. It was better than anything we'll ever see out of Duke. It's better than anything that we'll ever see out of a bunch of teams in this Coastal Division. Pat, you drew a comparison to 2019 West Virginia Scott Stadium. But Morgantown, that is what it's like. They live, they breathe, they love football, and they love their Mountaineers. They would be a phenomenal ad to the ACC as we go into conference expansion. Um, And I don't understand why some people are not interested in having them in. It would boost the coastal. It brings another fan base that was worth more to this, to this division. And it brings a trophy game that we get to play every single year. I want that every single year. It sucks that we lost. I hate that we lost. I hate losing to them, but that's the type of environment. And that's the type of rivalry that makes football awesome. And I want them in the coastal. I want to play this game every single year. Thoughts? Yes. A thousand and fifty percent yes. The worst part of us leaving the Big East was leaving that rivalry game behind. Uh, I, I agree. The crowd there, while their fans historically have not been as uh, savory, if you will, uh, the Black Diamond Trophy game should be played every single year. Uh, that rivalry transcends time and space. I mean, looking back to it, my early youth. Uh, you just had some of the best games. You look at the game where Shane Graham kicks the game-winning field goal. They beat the crap out of us a few years later. Then we get it back, and Vinny Fuller's housing blocked punts. Like, 
It's awesome. And then we saw what happened in 2017 with Will Greer, and we beat them at FedEx Field. Uh, And by the way, that's a rivalry game that should never be played at a neutral site. That should always be in Morgantown or in Lane Stadium. So I'd love to have them in the ACC. They'll join a hell of a lot sooner than Notre Dame. So Pat, I think completely agree with both of you guys. And I think the whole – I feel like West Virginia is a little bit more buttoned up now than they were back then. And that was kind of one of the bigger hesitations of why they would be invited to a conference like the ACC that prides itself or quote unquote prides itself on academics. And, you know, if you would ask a tech fan, they would say, well, you know, we don't want them because, you know, the academics, but you got a school like Louisville or some other schools in the ACC (laughs) that are, are kind of comparable. Um, to West Virginia. It's more so like, like I think West Virginia fans think of us. They think we think of them like how UVA thinks of us Um, just because of, you know, some folks in their fan base. That's just what I think, but I would absolutely love to have them enter the conference. Come on, come on board the ACC bandwagon here. Um, would it be tougher to recruit against West Virginia, knowing that West Virginia is down the ACC? It's going to be, um, you know, a new outlook as far as competing with them for talent, or a, you know, competing with them for talent a little more. Yes, but that's a fun town. That's a fun team. That's a fun fan base, and uh, I'd love to do that again. We're doing it anyway. We're competing up against them anyway. I would love to meet the recruit. Look, the SEC is its own conversation, but I would love to meet the recruit that's like, you know what? I'm going to go to Tech because it's in the ACC over West Virginia, or I'm going to go to West Virginia over it because it's in the Big 12. I don't think that really matters. And honestly, look, I don't mean to get mean, but if you're saying that we shouldn't bring a team into the conference because their academics are up to par, I'm sorry. I care about football and watching great football. Our school is going to have great academics. They can do whatever the hell they want to do over there. I genuinely do not care. I just want the good rivalry. It's not going to hurt our thing. It has nothing to do with who we let into school. Give me this rivalry. Spare me your academic stuff. Don't go all UNC and Duke on me about West Virginia joining the conference, please. It gives us better football. Okay. And better basketball. Coach Huggy Bear over there has got a great basketball program. I'd love to see them in basketball in the ACC. I was right about to say, we love to play them annually on the hardwood. We got letters from the lunch pail. We got anything else? I have nothing else. I guess we did just do the breathing exercise, but we can do one more last hurrah with the, uh, with the West Virginia lunch pail. The lunch, but guys, there were a lot of submissions. Couldn't get to all of them. I'll be tweeting at whoever else has questions. Um, but do you know, I do love all of you. I do. Some of them we did cover for the record. Some of them we did cover. Um, so, so yeah, have at it, Pat. Letters from the Lunch Pail brought to you by the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. West Virginia fans saw some of them who could definitely pay that place a visit. Grant Watson says, I need Pat's opinion on the nightlife in Morgantown. I thought it was awesome and would definitely go back. Let's get West Virginia and the ACC so we can play that game every year. Grant, great seeing you, my friend. I liked the nightlife in Morgantown as well. They have two or three blocks of bars and restaurants. You got wider streets. You know, you know how Main Street Blacksburg is like extremely narrow. Um, West Virginia's nightlife is pretty fun. There's a handful of bars. Every bar that you go into, you have to pay a cover. I feel like that's kind of like what separates like a big boy 
all quote unquote SET, SEC bar scene is that every single bar you go to on game day weekend has some form of cover and a line outside. And there's, you know, you need two hands to count all the bars. Um, but this place had a live band at Joe Mama's. It's the only place I got to go to. Um, but there were a lot of options and uh, a lot of ruckus and a lot of fun and buzz around Morgantown on Friday night. Didn't get to experience it on Saturday. Heard it was a blast from uh, from the Hokies that were up there. Um, but shout out to Grant Watson. And also shout out to my guy, Dan. Met my, my guy, Dan. His last name is escaping me, but met him at Joe Mama's. He's rocking the Hokie hat. Love to see it. J.K. Shields, Billy. J.K. Shields. Hello, J.K. This is mainly for Billy. That's me. You can call us the peanut gallery all you want, but at the end of the day, you can't defend what happened in the red zone yesterday. No, I cannot. I cannot defend not scoring points in the point scoring zone. Uh, the national media is even backing up what you are saying. What will it take for corn to be out of here? In my opinion, let me break this up into two different segments. Everybody loves look. Anytime anything goes wrong with Virginia tech, I have, I don't want to call them fans, but they might be a little obsessed with me and they constantly are pulling up videos from a year ago or two years ago about me speaking about a segment on Mac, uh, on Packer and Durham or pulling up some other tweets, or pulling up some other receipts and saying, Oh, peanut gallery, peanut gallery, peanut gallery, peanut gallery is not a silo that I put people in who disagree with me. I don't know everything. You don't know everything you as in everybody else. That is not what I'm saying. I'm going to make a very simple comparison here. We all have that friend who has Robin Hood and we were all trying to have a good time and we're maybe watching Monday Night Football or we're out to dinner and he loves pulling up his Robin Hood portfolio and saying, yo, man, I, I've been doing a little research in the stock market. And, you know, I put these puts on Pokemon and AMC and, you know, I'm doing this thing with Bank of America and you're trying to tell me to take stock advice from, you know, JoJo who works in like insurance and you're trying to tell me you have a hit on the stock market, please. That is peanut gallery material because you are speaking on something you do not know. For example, I got into it with the West Virginia fan base or one of their podcasts before because they had an issue with one of the throws that West Virginia made in their game. They were talking about, oh, man, we threw this pick at the end of the game and almost lost. But look at these two wide receivers down on the side of the field. They're wide open. Why are we not throwing them the ball? Well, uh, whoever from wherever, uh, it's a screen call. So the offensive line is down the field. Therefore, you cannot throw it to the wide receivers that are streaking down the field or it is a penalty. The play call is designed for the quarterback to take two steps and throw it to the guy. Josh Vuga happened to make an amazing play, tip the ball. We get the ball back. We have a chance to win the game. We did not. So the peanut gallery is reserved for people who like to speak on things or try to talk about concepts or different schemes when clearly, A, they didn't watch the film or B, they don't know what they're talking about. But we can continue to shoot back the emojis. I get it. I put my I put a lot of takes out there and that's just kind of how it is. But people got to stop getting their feelings hurt. Stop getting your feelings hurt. Um, as far as the second part of the question, national media is even backing up what we are saying. What will it take for corn to be out in your opinion? I think it's pretty simple. This team's success is directly correlated to Coach Fuente's job security, Coach Cornelson's job security and everybody else. This football team is not going to win if we continue with the output that we have seen from the offense moving forward. So I think at the end of this season or next week, we are going to have to see some different things. If we want to get to where I think we can get to, I still think this is a good football team. 
I still think that we have a, a chance to compete for the Coastal. Not sure if you guys have watched. I'm going to get shredded for this. I'm not sure if you guys have watched Clemson, but they don't move the ball very effectively either. I love our chances to trout out our guys if we stay healthy and figure some stuff out and put up some points. So it's going to figure itself out. We will either figure it out on offense or we are going to lose a boatload of football games. And if we lose a boatload of football games, there will be wholesale, wholesale change. And then that will be that. So that is my answer to that question. Yeah, there's not going to be – Corn's not going to get fired before the end of the season. Like that's just – it's not a reality at this point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Brian Holbrook, if we fired Brad Cornelson, who would hire him? The answer, that question is all you need to know about our current situation. Uh, Brian, that's a great question. I don't know. Uh, I can tell you who I would – Maybe. Oh, Grayson, I think he's asking who would hire Coach Corn. That's that's I I, I understand what he's asking. I don't know. I don't know who would hire him. Right. I I don't know. But if if he were to leave, I'll tell you an offensive coordinator that I like guy named Willie Corn down at Coastal Carolina. He's currently the co-offensive coordinator down there and helped lead the Chanticleers, their first Sunbelt Conference title. They ended up with 11 wins last season and played in the first FBS bowl game in program history. So getting someone right now, getting someone for like a Power 5 school, I think that's kind of wishful thinking. Overall, we'd like to talk numbers out here. Coastal's offense in 2020 led the conference in scoring offense, Third down conversion percentage, fourth down conversion percentage, like that, time of possession, completion percentage, fewest interceptions thrown, and passing efficiency by a team. So those numbers are solid. I just talked about a bunch of numbers. I said I don't care about numbers if they don't correlate to wins, but those numbers correspond with an 11-win season. So I'm not sure who would hire Brad Cornelson, but if we got rid of him, Willie Korn, a different corn will swap one for the other. Can I can I say something? And I like Brian. Brian's a good dude. I actually I'm a, I'm a big Brian Holbrook truther. Um, I don't know if anybody's been paying any attention to college football, but there was this guy that used to be here. His name was Scott Leffler. Um, and our offenses under Scott Leffler were not very good. And you know the way college football works is they all kind of get recycled and they always have somewhere to go. Coach Leffler is the head coach at Bowling Green university or state or whatever. He's the head coach there. So somebody would hire him. I promise somebody would hire him. Brian Steinspring also got hired at JMU who wins a whole, t- a whole bunch of football games. So if we're trying to make this like, you know, dream scenario where coach Cornelson is no longer our offensive coordinator and then he's bagging groceries at Kroger, that's not how that's going to work. Uh, nothing against baggers at Kroger. Um, but I've seen a lot of memes of Coach Cornelson throwing, you know, apples and oranges into paper or plastic. That's not how this is going to work out. There's going to be a spot for Coach Cornelson. I just hope it's on our sideline. I hope we score score some more points. So I just uh, Pat's Pat's geeking out. I <laughs> just stop with the uh, stop with the he is unemployable. <laughs> Have you guys seen the job market now? I mean, I go to like Chipotle and or, or no, I went to a Dodgers game the other day. And I go over to get a uh, to get some Dippin' Dots, and I get into this conversation with a guy who works for Dippin' Dots, and he's like, "Yeah, man, people don't want to work; they're just collecting this unemployment, so we're actually out of our uh, cookies and cream flavor because that department got shut down." So there's plenty of jobs out there. So I'm sure Coach Corn will be just fine. Coach Cookies and Cream. Coach Cookies and Coach Cream. Coach Cookies and Cream. 
dipping in Dotton all the way around the field. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh what's the next question james burner obviously no one's getting fired who is someone already on staff you think needs to take a bigger role i think that means that who on staff should be improving what they're doing i think not sure but um i think we've talked about that on ad nauseum here coach corn and then coach jafar williams um you know our our wide receivers have underperformed a little bit and I think a lot of that dates back to Jafar uh, and what they're running in practice. And we need to recruit better. I've said it before. We have a good class lined up right now as it presently stands. We need to bring in more guys and improve the depth. Pat did a great job talking about that. That's something that absolutely must improve. Um, but we'll see, man. And I've said it before. I'm not the type of guy that wants to get on here and call for people to lose jobs. Uh, I am able to look at situations and say something needs to be better or something needs to um, you know, improve. And I think we are in that situation right now. So, uh, moving right along from a question, uh, this one's for you, Grayson from John Cran, our guy. And also I got to give a shout out to, uh, to John Cran, you know, John Cran, we're personal friends. John Cran used to send his letters from the lunch pail via text, but we were like, look, man, we need some engagement on Twitter. We got to get it in one spot. And John has audibled kind of like we should have on that jet sweep. He has audibled and he has been sending them in on Twitter. So, John, I really, really appreciate it. He says, it seems the lack of Mitchell really hurt, especially in the red zone. I agree, John. Who do you see stepping up to help punch it in in those situations? Blumrook, Deulis, Gallo, somebody else. Three stall outs really killed us. Yes, they did. Especially the last one. Yes, they did. Thoughts? Uh, yeah, Doc, I got to tell you, <laughs> pick a card, any card. Any one of those guys, I mean, when when James Mitchell uh, got injured, it's got to be the next man up mentality. You know, I really thought we were going to see Connor Blumrick uh, on Saturday, and we didn't, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I get them running his package, the wild turkey against Middle Tennessee. Uh, but, you know, at least one of those trips to the red zone where we didn't score, maybe earlier on in the game, you b- bring him in and just kind of see what happens. Uh, those were well-blocked packages last weekend. Uh, a lot of yards came out of those packages. Uh, Drake, he had a couple of receptions on Saturday. So, I mean, he's got big shoes to fill with Jimmy Mitchell. Same with uh, same with Nick Gallo. Those two really have to step up in a big way in those short-yarded situations on first, second, third, and fourth, and goal. Um, all of those guys have to step up. It's not who. It's all of them. Every single one of them. Uh, anything to add, gentlemen, on that on that point before we move into this last letter of the lunch pail? All right. Yes, not. Brendan White with the last letter of the lunch pail today. And I quote, I'm sure these have been brought up already. Yes, they have. Why don't we go under center on fourth and short situations? What was up with the jet sweep to the short side in the red zone? No idea. Why does it seem like BB is missing a good amount of wide open guys and only keeping the ball and scrambling? Let's address why don't we go under center on fourth and short? Because I got to be honest, and Pat, you alluded to this earlier and you said this is just not an offense that does that. I got a problem with that. I, I, I really do. On those third and shorts, like, dude, I get it. You're, you don't run the huddle offense. You're in the shotgun a lot, but like, come on, it works, bro. Like put Blumrick in there, get his ass under center and pound the rock. Like I, Brendan, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I don't get the shotgun 
stuff. I don't understand that on the on the third and one, the third and two. Like we used to QB power with like Logan Thomas back in the day. Hell, we used to run it with with uh, Michael Brewer back in the day, and it worked. So I'm with you. I don't know. Ask Brad Cornelson because I can't tell you. Uh, and then that's wh- just not. I, I, I'm just gonna say. It's not going to change. It's something that we do not practice enough to just do it for those downs. If you notice, when we take a knee at the end of the game, as we did against North Carolina to bring up, you know, greener pastures, we did that in the shotgun. I agree, Grayson. It drives me crazy. I do not like it. You're starting with a five-yard disadvantage, but that's what we do. And there are plenty of other teams in, in, in college football that do it. And it doesn't excuse us from the fact that we just got bullied up front at the line of scrimmage. You know what I mean? So we don't do it. So to combat that, we need to not get our tails handed to us up front. Sure. Last thing, uh, seems like Braxton Burmeister is missing a good amount of wide open guys and only keeping the ball when scrambling. Yeah, uh, I don't necessarily disagree with that. He he missed a few times this past weekend. I got to be honest. I th- I think the crowd was a factor. I think he was a little shook. Uh, maybe there at first, but execution this past weekend was, was not great. As far as the scrambling, I agree, Brendan, there have been a lot of times this season and we're only three games in where, where Braxton, I feel like had he kept it on, on, on like a jet sweep, if he were to pull the ball back and run it, I feel like there have been many opportunities where had he kept it, he could have picked up geez, anywhere 20, 40, or maybe a house call who knows, uh, I, I think on his reads, maybe he could be a little better. I don't know what they're practicing. I don't. So I can't talk too much about it. Uh, but, yeah, those concerns are warranted. I've had the same thoughts. Um, so, yeah, th- I think that's a, a good question. Completely valid. A couple, couple points. Sure. Um, I would say, so Coach Fuente addressed this in post-game, uh, post-game media availability. And take it as you may. I'm just don't shoot the messenger here. Uh, it appears that there wasn't a problem with the with the reads um, in terms of him executing correctly, in terms of him doing what was asked for him. And again, we have talked about this before. There are plays where the read is taken out of the equation. I'm curious if we see more of him having the ability to pull it when we get into ACC play. Um, that might be something. And then in terms of tucking the ball a little bit early, We've kind of talked about it. I think Braxton's going to improve. I think it was a tough situation for him to step in with, especially getting no protection up front. Um, but I think where he's at his best is obviously running with the football. So as he's kind of going through these growing pains of getting better at going through his progressions, finding receivers that are getting open or receivers getting open in general, his instinct is going to be to tuck the ball. And honestly, I don't have a huge problem with that because he is – made huge plays while running the ball that you can't teach. And we really haven't had a quarterback here since, I don't know, like 2000 that's been able to do the stuff that he's able to do with running the ball. We just got to see it a little bit more consistently. Um, and uh, that's what we're looking for. So it's kind of like, you know, you don't know what's happening, do what you do best. And that's uh, for Braxton. It's tucking and running it right now. So we got to improve, got to get better at working through those reads and finding those guys um, that are open. So <clears throat> Tyrod Taylor, <clears throat> Tyrod Taylor too. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Braxton Burmeister is faster than Tyrod Taylor, though. Is that a fact? He's not faster. Tyrod Taylor is faster than Braxton Burmeister. He's more shifty. Uh, That's a different conversation. We can get into that. We can do a special. I hope. By the way, uh, Tyrod, please get healthy. He was balling out for the Texans, and he had a little bit of a hamstring issue. Um, 
which is just so damn annoying. I don't know why this keeps happening. Unluckiest, Couldn't have happened to a better guy. Unluckiest player in the NFL. But he owes. Uh, he does owe Pat McAfee twenty push-ups um, following uh, the West Virginia win. So shout out to West Virginia. I don't want to take any with anything away. They came in. They handled. They, they stayed home and they handled business. Uh, and they are the proud owners of the Black Diamond Trophy presented by Coca Cola. Um, so shout out to them. Final um, segment. We are moving into Sharky shoutouts. Pat, kick us off. With Sharky shoutouts. Sharky shoutouts. Uh, amongst all the hubbub of September 19th, yesterday, Sunday, we got a basketball commit. The Mike Young train continues to roll. Uh, Patrick Wessler out of Combine Academy. He's from Charlotte, North Carolina. Boys, seven footer in the boat, seven feet, 235 pounds. He's rated as a uh, 0.89 three star on, um, on 24-7 sports, fifth recruit in the state of North Carolina. Uh, Big-time get from the staff. Held some offers from uh, Ole Miss, USC, Providence, NC State. It looks like those were uh, a handful of schools that had offered Mr. Wessler. And uh, he joins the 2022 class here that is built out uh, with MJ Collins just down the road here in Rock Hill. So we got MJ Collins. We got Patrick Wessler, uh, two guys from the Charlotte metro area, in the boat for the Mike Young era. Get your popcorn ready. Uh, two shout-outs from the game I want to make. One, this guy from Buffalo who sat behind us in the Hokie section, Section 99. Uh, great guy. He was with – I think he was with a relative. Tech fan, West Virginia fan? Tech fan. His name okay. is escaping me, but this guy lives in Buffalo. He hosts a talk show in Buffalo. He's getting married this upcoming Saturday. I'm pretty sure is what he said. No fall um, weddings. Yeah. Well, hashtag no fall weddings, but shout out to this guy. Uh, if you know him, if you know a hokey, he's, he's class of like 2008 hosts the talk show goes to like all the games tailgates at the German club when he's at, uh, when he's at tech, that's where I tailgate I gotta bump in one of these days. Um, but shout out to that guy. Uh, fun to watch the game with you. Uh, shout out to my man, Nate Rusmeisel. Thanks for coming and saying hi. Appreciate you listening. And uh, hopefully next time I see you, it's under better circumstances. And last shout out. The three of us are headed to Austin, Texas this weekend. We're going to catch a little bit of uh, horns up, horns up, horns down, whatever you want to do. Uh, we will be repping Virginia Tech at that game on Saturday. Texas Tech versus UT Austin. Got to get up for the 11 a.m. kickoff, probably streaming the Hokies game in the stadium, but uh, that should be a good time. Looking forward to Rainy Street and 6th Street and hanging out with the fellas. I can tell you one thing that's a guarantee. We'll see some points scored on uh, on that morning uh, from Texas Tech because they put up some serious points. <laughs> yeah, uh, excited about that. Last-minute spontaneous decision was made to, to join Pat and Billy Ray and Austin. I'm very, very excited about that. I do need to shout out my my good friends who I actually arrived in Los Angeles at the same time as all of which went to West Virginia University. Zach Patrick, Macy Singe, Brendan O'Brien, Brennan Mardick, and Logan McMasters. Y'all got old gray. Uh, your, your Mountaineers won. Take me home. Country roads. A deal's a deal. Uh, and, yeah, uh, congrats. We'll see you next year. And then Isaiah Ford, it's all love, man. I saw you quote my tweet. I got nothing but love for you, dude. No beef on this end. 
Uh, like you're one of my favorite tech players of all time. So just all good. I, I, I was like, Billy Ray, what do I do? Like, what do I say? People to are him? passionate, man. People are passionate. He, 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 he was like, I was like, he what faced, do I say? He FaceTimed me when we were at, uh, when we were at Mavericks. He's like, man, you a Grayson. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 Bill, get your boy. Hey, Bill, get your boy, get dog. Your boy. Get nah, your everybody's, boy, dog. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion, man. And, uh, Isaiah's passionate and Isaiah's following along and, um, you know, we all want the same thing. We want a successful Virginia tech team. And to do that, we got to score more points. Um, hilarious. my shout out, uh, you know, shout out to you, Grayson. I love seeing you looking forward to seeing everybody in Austin. Um, hey, dude. yeah. Shout out to, uh, mom and dad. My brother had the Naval ball, uh, this past weekend. Uh, he looked great. Um, it's like the whole deal. They got all dressed up and have a Naval Naval ball. Uh, that was super cool. Got some great pictures of Jackson. Um, and just so proud of him, man, as he gets ready to graduate from Navy. Um, I'm just tremendously proud of everything that he's been able to accomplish. Uh, so that was cool. And then I also want to shout out the Sons of Saturday National Podcast. Mike McDaniel's doing a great job. He's got Pete Sampson, the national beat writer from Notre Dame, and also Kelly Gramlich, who is from ACC Network. Uh, she actually is the uh, one of the co-hosts on uh, the Gramlich and MacLean show. Um, so Mike McDaniel is doing awesome stuff. And I also want to shout out all the listeners. Look, I mean, I, I, these are not the most fun to get on here and talk after a loss. Um, but I, I really do. I mean this, I generally appreciate all of the, um, all of the engagement. Um, and it's, it's cool to be part of a fan base where it matters this much, um, where we get a loss and people are upset. We get a win. People are excited. I've generally enjoyed, loved, loved doing this with you guys. Um, and uh, even though you can't win them all, I love, uh, I love talking about it and looking forward to seeing how the rest of this season unfolds. Hopefully we look back and West Virginia 2021 is the Tennessee of 2016. But if we can avoid losing to Syracuse, that would be much, much preferred. That does it for us here at the Sons of Saturday. We will be back with a Richmond preview and possibly a surprise podcast in the middle of the week. We did a great one with... Uh, the other Justin Hamilton, I'm not even going to say the other, the comedian Justin Hamilton last week. Check that out. That one is timeless. So you can listen to that anytime and it'll still be relevant. Everybody stay safe, stay well, and let's go win a football game on Saturday. It's time to wander, tripping in the sand. We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand by the saw you. Take a hit, it started